0: Somewhere I hope I never have to come in real life is Edinburgh's High Court, Scotland's Supreme Criminal Court, where the most serious crimes are heard. But that's where we're heading for this second series of Inside Forensic Science, because Edinburgh's High Court is the start and end point of a remarkable story. The story involves a young woman who sat on a Driech damp day, the 30th of June, 1857, waiting to go up the stairs and into Court Number 3. Her name was Madeleine Smith. She was just 21 years old and she stood accused of murdering her lover, Pierre-Émile longelier I wonder what was going through her head as she moved up the stairs to take her place in the dock.
1: If you've ever been to Court 3, when you walk into it, everything goes quiet because it's set right in the heart of the building. You know that it's a place where important things happen. It is wonderfully atmospheric.
0: Although the decor and detail of the courts may have changed in the past 160 years, I suspect the feelings and emotions it conjures up remains constant. It is and always will be a place of fear, hope, anticipation, the sense that you're standing on a precipice, a very public, And a great stage for for all those people that came to it.
1: It is. Oh, criminal trials are theatre. They are the last free theatre, of course, it only costs you a bus ride to to go and watch a criminal trial. Um, And it would be theatrical because somebody is facing the death penalty. Uh, I cannot imagine how that additional element would actually feel to those involved in the trial. Knowing, for example, as a defence counsel, that if you made one mistake, if you asked one wrong question, that could send your client to the gallows. That's a tremendous responsibility.
0: And it wasn't just Madeline and her defence lawyer who were fixated on that possible outcome.
2: It caused an enormous scandal back in, in the Victorian era in Glasgow. It wasn't just in Scotland, and it wasn't just in Britain, but it was pretty worldwide. You had newspapers in Europe and in America running the story because it was, it was related to somebody who would be seen as part of the upper classes, having a passionate affair with somebody who would be seen as in those days of, from a class beneath her. It ended in a, in a huge, or what unfolded to be a huge scandal around her, her virtue as a woman back in those days. And of course, when it came to the trial, I mean, people flocked to see it on the first day, you know, there was just hordes of people trying to get in. In the time, it brought some of the best scientists and medical experts in Scotland to give evidence in the case, and that in of itself was, I think, something that showed it to be of real interest back in those days, but scandalous interest.
0: Do you look back to it and think, yeah, that's a a courtroom I'd like to have sat in and witnessed because it must have been such a piece of theatre?
1: No, it's a case I would like to have defended. I've no interest in being in the audience. I want to be on the stage.
0: In this second series of the Inside Forensic Science podcast, brought to you by the Leverhulme Research Centre for Forensic Science at the University of Dundee, we're looking back at the trial of Madeline Smith through the prism of forensic science, examining the evidence and asking what contemporary science might bring to the case. How has forensic science changed since Madeline Smith was on trial? And would the verdict have been different today? We've put a link in the episode notes so you can go and read the transcripts of the Madeline Smith trial for yourself as you follow the series. We want you to put yourself in the shoes of the 15 people who sat on the jury to ask yourself, would you convict Madeline of murder? By 10 o'clock on that first day of the trial in Edinburgh, every seat was taken. Madeline came up into the court and took her place in the dock.
3: Madeline Smith, or Madeline Hamilton Smith, now or lately prisoner in the prison of Glasgow, you are indicted and accused at the instance of James Moncrief Esquire, Her Majesty's advocate for Her Majesty's interest.
0: You immediately get a flavour of the intensity of the interest in the case from the descriptions of Madeline that day. To one observer, her step was as buoyant and eyes as bright as if she were entering a box at the opera. Another states she was graceful and comely with good, regular features, perhaps a little hard in outline, with a rather prominent straight nose and a strong underjaw indicating strength of character and strong will. Someone else says her features express great intelligence and energy of character. Underpinning, each and every observation is a silent question. Is this the kind of woman who would commit punishable. murder?
3: Yet true it is, and of verity that you, the said Madeline Smith, or Madeline Hamilton Smith, are guilty of the said crimes, or of one or other of them, actor or art and part.
0: Three charges Insofar were made against Madeline Smith. She was charged with administering arsenic or other poison to Pierre Emile Longelier with the intention of murdering him on two separate occasions in February 1857, and she was charged with murdering him in March of the same year by giving him poison.
3: Commissioners of Justiciary, you, the said Madeline Smith, or Madeline Hamilton Smith, ought to be punished with the pains of law to deter others from committing the like crimes in all time coming.
0: Madeline pleaded. Not guilty. In a voice described as a sweet, clear treble, apparently showing no signs of emotion as she did so. Then the trial of the century got underway. Interestingly, that not guilty plea was the only time we heard from Madeline Smith in person during the whole trial. Her declaration was read out on her behalf. For the purposes of this podcast, we're going to give her her voice back in the form of actor, Kira Lucchesi.
4: My name is Madeline Smith I am a native of Glasgow, 21 years of age, and I reside with my father, James Smith, architect, at No. 7 Blythswood Square, Glasgow. For about the last two years, I have been acquainted with Emile Longelier, who was in the employment of W.B. Huggins & Co. in Boswell Street and who lodged at 11 Franklin Place. He recently paid his addresses to me, and I have met with him on a variety of occasions.
2: My name is... Niamh Nick-Dade. I'm a professor of forensic science at the University of Dundee, and I am the director of the Levi-Hume Research Centre for Forensic Science at the University of Dundee. So the story unfolds as uh, the key character is a lady called Madeline Smith, who was a socialite, uh, so a upper middle class, uh, I would think, um, back in the Victorian era in Glasgow. Madeline had fallen in love with a man who would be considered in a lower class than her, Pierre-Emile Longelier, and they began a passionate affair.
4: My dear Emile, I do not feel as if I were writing to you for the first time. Though our intercourse has been very short, yet we have become as familiar friends. May we long continue so. And ere long may you be a friend of Papa's in my most earnest desire. We feel it rather dull here after the excitement of town's life but then we have much more time to devote to study and improvement. I often wish you were near us. We could take such charming walks. One enjoys walking with a pleasant companion, and where could we find one equal to yourself? I am trying to break myself off of all my very bad habits. It is you I have to thank for this, which I do, sincerely from my heart.
2: And that affair was documented in letters that they had sent to one another, and and letters talking about their their passion for each other and their love for each other. He was in the habit of writing
4: notes to me, and I was in the habit of replying to him by notes.
2: Madeline's father then began to look to organising a marriage for his daughter, and had found a suitor, a Mr Minnock, who was in the same class as Madeline and her family was. And there were rumours of their betrothal and that they were going to get married.
3: William Harper Minnach. In the course of last winter, I paid my addresses to Miss Smith and I made proposals of marriage to her on the 12th of March. She accepted. I had no idea that she was engaged to any other person and I was aware of no attachment or peculiar intimacy between her and any other man.
2: Our lover found out about those rumours. Answer me this, Mimi. Who gave you the
3: trinket you showed me? Is it true it was Mr. Minock? And is it true that you are directly or indirectly engaged to Mr. Minock, or to anyone else but me? These questions I must know.
2: And Madeleine cooled the whole affair off.
4: Mr. Minock made a proposal of marriage to me and I gave him my hand in token of acceptance, but no time for the marriage has yet been fixed and my object in writing the note, number one, before mentioned, was to have a meeting with Mr Longelier to tell him that I was engaged to Mr Minnock.
2: And when she asked for her letters to be returned to her, he refused. And so an impasse occurred. And then there was an effort by Madeline to try to re not necessarily rekindle the affair, but to try to get back into her lover's good books in order to try, I I would surmise, and it's my thoughts about it, to try to retrieve the letters, because the letters, of course, if made public, would absolutely destroy her reputation. And there were a few attempts to to that where they met, and Emile refused to give back the letters. And then it's alleged Madeline took matters into her own hands and arranged to do away with Emile by poisoning him, at least that is the allegation.
4: I have bought arsenic on various occasions. The last I bought was a sixpence worth, which I bought in Curry, the apothecaries in Hall Street. I used it all as a cosmetic and applied it to my face, neck and arms, diluted with water.
2: As a result of his death, the letters were found, And a trial ensued, she was arrested for his murder. And so the whole thing came out in the wash anyway. Back in the 1850s, this would have been absolutely scandalous. It would have been the thing that everybody in society from all classes would have been talking about. It's
1: vaguely genteel Glasgow society uh, and Victorian attitudes uh, of outwardly uh, strong morals uh, you have the fair maiden, you have the villain of the peace, uh, you have death by poisoning, uh, you have the shadow of the rope hanging over a criminal trial, you have the trial in Edinburgh, the capital city, attracting great public interest uh, and a verdict of not proven. What more do you want? I'm Donald Findlay. I am presently a King's counsel. I have been in practice largely at the criminal bar for 47 and more years. For most of that time, I have spent my uh, life defending people charged with murder.
0: What, if anything, in particular interests you about this case? Why is it a case of of interest and, and of note?
1: Well, in my 47 years, uh, I have never defended a poisoner, Um, and poisoning is unusual. It's also a female way of killing. Uh, Very few poisoners have been men in comparison to women, uh, whereas in broader terms women don't commit murders. Men do. I've defended very few women accused of murder, uh, as opposed to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men (laughs) accused of murder. And also it was set against the background of the death penalty. Uh, It involved two of the leading uh, lawyers of their day, who went on to achieve even greater things. Uh, And it was uh, Glasgow, and it was the background of Victorian society. So a whole number of factors were intriguing. Do
0: you think this case has things then that are, are particularly useful to go back and look at. Is there, is there still things to be learned from this case, from studying what happened in this trial? It depends what
1: you mean by that. Uh, if you mean, can I tell you whether she did or didn't? No, I can't. Can anybody tell you that? Yes, but she's dead. So we're never going to absolutely know. Uh, But it was of its time interesting. Uh, From a legal point of view, uh, it was approached by lawyers in a very different way from the way we do nowadays. Uh, And also, of course, the the level of technical or scientific evidence which they had back then was for practical purposes non-existent compared to the clever stuff that uh, we nowadays uh, have featuring in criminal trials. So very, very
0: different. Why look at This case particularly when it's been studied
2: so much? Um, It's a really good question and I think the reason why we were interested in looking at this case is because it's been studied so much. Um, In part it's also looking at two particularly interesting um, aspects of forensic science. One is matching patterns which was the handwriting that was involved in this case and the other is looking at one of the really core areas of objective science, so that's science that we have robust measurements around, and that's toxicology. So we wanted to explore the developments in toxicology from the 1850s, which was when this case occurred, through now to the modern day, and compare that with the developments in the analysis of handwriting from about the same time through to the modern day. So this case in its day, back in those Victorian times, was a huge scandal. It was a sensational case. Um, And because of that, there's a lot of written record relating to it. So it became an obvious one to enable us to to look in finer detail at both these two evidence types, but also other aspects around transfer and persistence of materials, which, of course, is also something that is important for us to recognise and realise.
0: And from a forensic (coughs) evidence viewpoint, what...
2: Did it offer up, or does it offer up? So the, 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 there are a number of different avenues that um, within forensic science and medicine were explored during the, the trial. One was the letters. So it was looking at what information could be gleaned from these letters. Were they written by Madeline? Were they written by Emile? And what information came from the letters that could substantiate the claim that they were having this affair?
3: Robert Oliphant. I am a stationer at Helensborough. I was shown a number of letters by the procurator Fiscal. They were in Miss Smith's handwriting. I recognised some of the envelopes as being bought at my shop. They were stamped with the initials MHS.
2: The letters became a really important, pertinent Item of evidence, but not only the letters themselves, but also the dates upon which they were sent, so that there was a there was a timeline could be established with regard to the to the uh, the letters themselves. And they were, of course, as most forensic evidence, uh, if not all forensic evidence, is they were circumstantial evidence. But they they were used and, and would have been used to substantiate perhaps a motive behind why Madeleine may want to do away with Emile.
4: Emile, for the love you once had for me, do nothing till I see you. For, for God's sake, do not bring your once-loved Mimi to an open shame. It would break my mother's heart. Oh Emile, be not harsh to me. I am the most guilty, miserable wretch in the face of the earth. Emile, do not drive me to death.
2: So that was one area. The other, of course, was the poison that was used in this case. It was arsenic. So what evidence was there that it was indeed arsenic that Emil died by, that that was the cause of his death? So where could the arsenic have been purchased from? What was the dosage that it was given in? What was the medium, so how was it taken? And what evidence was there that indeed arsenic was involved in the death?
3: Dr Frederick Penny. I've carefully analyzed and chemically examined the said stomach and its contents with a view to ascertain whether they contained any poisonous substance. This liquid measured eight and a half ounces. On being allowed to repose it deposited a white powder which was found on examination to possess the external characters and all the chemical properties peculiar to arsenious acid, that is the common white arsenic of the shops.
2: And then the third area, I think, of substantive evidence was the forensic medical evidence, so the pathology that was done to again establish cause of death. So each of these taken, certainly the forensic science evidence, which is more focused on identifying that arsenic was involved, and work that was done with regards to Uh, the letters, would be more conventional forensic science. The other area is forensic medicine. And all of this evidence combined together would be what would be presented in front of the jury so that they could make their decision on the guilt or otherwise of the individual.
0: In the next episode of the Inside Forensic Science podcast, we'll be turning our attention to those all-important letters, asking what, if anything, they tell us about the relationship between Madeleine and Emile. What can contemporary forensic science bring to letter-writing analysis? And how robust are those letters as evidence of Madeleine's guilt? Or, as she claims, her innocence of murdering Pierre-Emile Longelier?
4: I never administered or caused to be administered to Mr Longelier arsenic or anything injurious. And this I declare to be truth. Madeline Smith.
0: Throughout the series, we'll be asking you to decide whether you think Madeline is guilty or innocent of the crime of poisoning her lover. Follow the Leverhulme Research Centre for Forensic Science at the University of Dundee on social media to have your say. Tell us what you make of Madeline Smith and the world she moves in. What's your, your feelings about Madeline? How do you personally respond to her and what you have learnt about her from the the trial details?
2: Oh, you're asking a forensic scientist about their feelings. I am. That's naughty. I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a touchy feely question coming right <laughs> up at you. Um, it, it's it, it's very difficult for us living in the modern day to think back about what this was like in the 1850s and in the you know we our historians tell us about what. Victorian England and and indeed Victorian Scotland might have been like and so my my I suppose input would be from what I've read and what I've sort of seen in the in the 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 television dramatizations of that age. I think um, about Madeleine Smith herself I think that she um, was a young woman of of high order in terms of the um of the 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 class system of the day, and it seems to me that she was had fallen in love with somebody and that she was having um, that relationship with them, but found that at some point the confines of of her class came upon her and she needed to move on from that affair and and become more conformist and and that was very challenging both for her and for Emile, who she was with at the time. And the way in which that played out um, resulted potentially or did result in in the death of one person, um, whether or not Madeline was the person who caused that or whether that was caused in other ways is what the court case was all about. And so, I mean, how do I feel about it? I think it was it was the human condition and it was what we still see played out in every generation, um, everywhere across the world, is how people interact with each other, and, and sometimes those interactions don't work out.
0: Here's a thought to leave you with Madeline's life was laid bare through the letters she wrote to Emile. But is it fair or appropriate to make judgments on someone's character from the letters they write? How happy would you be? to have your Facebook posts, tweets, or WhatsApp messages analysed as a means to characterise who you are, especially if it was a matter of life and death.
1: The bit that is most often quoted uh, is the start of the speech by the Dean of Faculty, John Ingalls, to the jury, gentlemen of the jury, The charge against the prisoner is murder and the punishment of murder is death and that simple statement is sufficient to suggest to us the awful solemnity of the occasion which brings you and me face to face.
0: In episode one of Inside Forensic Science, the case of Madeline Smith. The actors were Joe Riley, Kira Le Phil Latin, Craig Swan, Ian Boffey, and John Harding. The experts were Professor Neve McDade, Donald Finley Casey, and Professor Eleanor Gordon. The series' story consultants are Heather Duran and Clara Morris. The series is written and presented by me, Penny Stewart, and is produced by Adventurous Audio Limited for the Leverhulme Research Centre for Forensic Science at the University of Dundee. Inside Forensic Science is funded by the Leverhulme Trust.